All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, welcome back. It's great to have you in studio again. We were able to accommodate, you know, doing the show via Skype, but it's always great to have you in studio. Welcome back. Thank you, Jess. It's nice to be back. Well, maybe in not a- because, <laughs> you know, a lot has happened since you were away. We've, we've had three or four constitutional crises since you've been away. We've had multiple, you know, fires in and around Northern California. We've had very interesting election results, primaries, where I'm happy to say that two Palestinian Americans, by the way, have won their Democratic primaries, one in Michigan and Mm -hmm. one in San Diego. That's right. So it's been kind of an interesting time here in the States. Uh, We're going to hear from you later about, uh, you know, because you did come back from Palestine. So we want to hear more up to date in terms of the realities on the ground in Palestine. But we actually have a lot to talk about today. There's a lot happening in the Middle East right now. That's right, Jess. Uh, Of course, uh, our main topic, and we'll cover a lot of things, but our main topics is, is something that we have been talking about, which is basically who's behind the so-called Syria's rebels because or insurgency or whatever you want to describe it as. Uh, and who's arming them? We know we you know we've been talking about Saudi Arabia, we've been talking about Turkey, we've been talking about uh, NATO and and so forth. We've been talking about Russia, and we've been talking about Israel. And so we've been talking about Israel, and and there uh, were denials, of course, by Israel until you know they helped evacuate these the white helmets. Can we just stop for a minute and say why would Israel? evacuate anybody from Syria humanitarian reasons <laughs> well, uh, you we know need when to, when we need when to get Palest- the exactly when Palestinians uh, when they're killing Palestinians day in day out and and sniper bullets are raining on children in Gaza they don't uh, care. on journalists on medics then we have to say Israel is engaged in a humanitarian act in helping the white helmets but today Jess this is all over the Israeli media uh, and now we're finding out that Israel has been discreetly, not so discreetly, I should add, uh, been funding and arming at least 12 rebel groups in southern Syria. And they've been doing it for the past two, three years at right, least. Right. You know, not to mention all the other uh, covert operations and bombing the Syrian army to clear, you know, the path for them, uh, at, uh, bombing the Syrian airport, bombing right. the Syrian air force and Iranian positions. So now for the first time, it's all over the media and it has been confirmed by several sources. They've been transferring weapons. Uh, they've been giving them assault rifles, machine guns, mortar launchers and trans- transport vehicles all delivered through three border crossings, gates that connect the Golan Heights in Syria. So they're using the Golan Heights as a uh, entry point into the uh, Syrian territory, and they've been, and we know they've been evacuating some of their injured and right. and treating them. But this was under the guise again of humanitarian. Uh, well, the humanitarian notion, Jamal, has been bogus coming out of the Israeli military and Israeli government mouths. Basically, what we have is a situation where the Israeli government has been working for years to destabilize Syria and to illegally, if not immorally, try to destabilize uh, Syria and remove Bashar al-Assad from his, uh, uh, from his position as uh, president of Syria. Now, you and I have never said that we supported Bashar al-Assad. We've always said that it's up to the people of Syria to decide their fate. Without any interference With, from... Exactly. Without interference from other people. But now we have the Israeli military and the Israeli government putting their uh, dirty hands into the mix here. So guess, I, I want to ask you a question. Guess how much value does the Israeli government put on the Syrian rebel life per day? 
I, it's not a trick question. It, it sounds like a trick question. I can't imagine that it would be a lot of money. <laughs> it either could be a lot because they're funneling lots of money, but but they don't really care about the Syrian rebels. So I don't know. How much? Just $75 per month. $75 per month? Yeah. The, so oh. So Israel has been paying each rebel fighting on its behalf approximately $75 per month. To put their lives on the line. With additional money to the groups, of course, and, and tra to transfer to purchase weapons on Syria's black market. Aside from what they were right. giving them, they're giving them also money to buy. So $75, they're paying every Syrian rebel to fight. Now we, we know it's 12 different rebel groups. In and around southern Syria and probably... That that they've been supporting. They've been uh, providing uh, satellite imagery for them and, and communications. And yep. uh, they've been sending drones and bombing, you know, the Syrian army and the Hezbollah positions inside Syria. And they've been uh, evacuating those who have been injured. So this is the big story, which is, I would say, something that we've been talking about Israel has been in denial. But we've suspected this for many years, Jamal. I mean, we know that the uh, Israeli uh, influence in Syria goes back decades and decades and decades. In 1981, they, they bombed the, you know, the Syrian nuclear rea reactor, flying illegally into Syrian airspace and destroyed it. And, and we know for decades and decades, Jamal, that the, Syria, uh, that the Israelis have had covert operations. And we have speculated time and time again that they've had their dirty hands in destabilizing uh, Syria, too. So I guess this is the first kind of confirmation of what we've suspected for years. Well, we've been talking about it for years, but now it's, it's totally out there. And by the way, I, I should add that uh, they've been, I mean, they haven't been selective as for, uh, in in who are these rebel groups. So they've had some were the uh, militants of the Islamic State. So basically Israel has been funding, so, arming ISIS. ISIS, Israel supports ISIS. And other groups, you know, because I was looking at the list. Unbelievable. You know, so, you know, again, 12 rebel groups in southern Syria. Basically, they've been transferring weapons to them. They've been transferring machine guns, mortar launchers, transport vehicles, lo uh, providing logistics. Uh, Israeli security agencies deliver the weapons through the three gates uh, out of the Golan Heights to Syria. The same crossing Israel used to deliver humanitarian, the so-called humanitarian in aid quotes, to residents of in, southern Syria. In quotes, yes. And... Paying each rebel $75 per month in addition to a, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, an allotment to buy uh, more weapons on the black market inside, inside Syria. So let me ask you a question, Jamal. If any other country were sticking its dirty little hands into, you know, this really horrific situation for the Syrian people, there would be an international outcry and condemnation. Has the United States condemned Israel for its for this immoral, illegal activity of destabilizing Syria? Not Is only it, destabilizing Syria, but these rebel groups, when you talk about militants, Islamist militants who were murdering and uh, beheading and support, torturing residents in, in villages and torturing people and raping women, and basically they are— Part of and part and parcel of ISIS and other terror groups, Israel has its dirty hands in this whole equation. So do you think Nikki Haley's going to bring up a UN resolution condemning Israel for supporting ISIS? Absolutely not. I mean, Nikki Haley, remember, they were talking about the humanitarian work right. that's, that Israel had has provided to the so-called white, white helmets. Yeah, well, the white helmets in, uh, in In evacuating them. I mean, think about this issue. So the white helmets, they get in trouble 
And we talked about the white helmets right. and their role in providing misinformation and trying to and implicate Syria. And also spying. And implicate Syria in the so-called weapon, uh, chemical weapon attacks. Right. But they're surrounded by several countries. Uh, Jordan is involved, Lebanon, etc. And the only country that is able to evacuate them is Israel. Smells fishy to me because... To Jordan, by the way. Right. They took them you know, to, into safety, and the only country who provided the so-called humanitarian Eva- airlift or right. evacuation... Were the Israelis. Were the Israelis. And now we find out... I mean, no, actually, I should rephrase this because we knew this all along. We have confirmation. We have confirmation that yes. Israel has been arming 12 different so-called rebel groups paying them, sending them weapons. They're basically working for Israel. Exactly. That's why I ask you this question. If there's any other country or any other group that is supporting ISIS right now, anywhere in the world, what would we say about that country? If we said, if we found, for example, that let's say Somalia was supporting ISIS you know, rebels in Syria, there would be a, not just an outcry and condemnation, there, people would, you know, this administration here in the United States might take up arms against them. But here we have a so-called ally arming, supporting, and as you said, not just destabilizing, but supporting arguably one of the worst terrorist organizations on the face of the earth, you know, the ISIS, the Islamic State. And yet they're going to get a free pass. I don't see Nikki Haley standing up at the United Nations today, Jamal, calling for Security Council uh, resolution condemning Israel for supporting ISIS. Do you see it happening? Absolutely not. It's not going to happen. But this is the big story for the day. Yeah, but I want to ask you, I mean, because sometimes our listeners— may have a difficult time like wrapping their minds around this. So let me just put out there one kind of analysis has to be whenever you see something in Syria that doesn't make sense, ask yourself the question, in whose interest is it? And it's in the, you know, diluted mind of of Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israelis that they kind of believe to have this destabilized Syria having their their thumb on this uh, region, they believe it's in their best interest to do this. So that's why they're doing it. They're not doing it for humanitarian reasons. They're not doing it f- for the love of the Syrian people. They're doing it for their own, what they believe are their own strategic interests, which we, we have talked about, uh, you know, quite a bit, obviously. So makes perfect sense. I hate to say this, Jamal, but we were right. You're absolutely right. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. We also like to welcome our viewers on Facebook Live and on other platforms. So, Jamal, I'm really curious, though, because um, there's been a lot going on in Palestine while you were while you were away. And, you know, some of the highlights have been, you know, the ongoing massacre of innocent civilians in Gaza. That's that's one issue, obviously. Um, the the Kushner peace plan, which has you know borne more fruit, uh, because just this week, the you know under the under the guy you know under the cover of all the other you know uh, things that are going on in the Trump administration, you know with all these constitutional crises, Jared Kushner got a commitment from Donald Trump to pull $200 million from the most vulnerable Palestinians uh, in the world right now. So they cut the United Nations Refugee Works Agency budget by $200 million, Jamal. Well, actually, no, just it's much more than this. These are two, two parts. One, they cut $200 plus million, I think $212 million, that went into direct support for Palestinian NGOs, which is part of the package right. to the Palestinian Authority, but it actually goes to civil society and Palestinian NGOs. Then they're defunding, In they're defunding totally defunding UNRWA, okay? So that's the other component which takes care, you know, we know UNRWA uh, and why it was established. Let's remind our listeners. We should. If you have a right of return, then you don't have UNRWA. 
UNRWA was established through a resolution by the United Nations. So it's not a charitable organization that the United no, States it's because 800,000 Palestinians were forcibly ethnically cleansed and removed from their lands, creating the largest refugee crisis and, in the world. And, and it was established through the United Nations resolution basically as a temporary measure that guarantees like after, you know, they receive some of the assistance that they were guaranteed to return, return to their homes. Seventy years later. So so this is <laughs> this this was the whole purpose of UNRWA. And so now Donald Trump and we'll come back, it's not actually Donald Trump, right? No, Donald Trump is just the implementer. No, it's it's Kushner. No, it's not even Kushner. It's Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu through Kushner. Through Kushner right. and Greenblatt and the uh U.S. ambassador in in Israel. Right. They're they're basically the vassal, the vassal the that tri that that uh, you know Netanyahu uses to reach to the White House, and and then and then Kushner flies into the White House, gives it the whispers in the ears of his father-in-law, and then Trump comes and say, okay. We are going to cut funding on UNRWA. But what this means really just is killing the entire right of return for Palestinians. And it's telling, basically denying now their, their children, you know, which numbers more than five and a half million refugees all over the world. It's basically denying them the right of return and denying them the right for any kind of assistance. In the Gaza Strip, as you know, you've been there, most of the schools or many of the schools are run by UNRWA. Without right. UNRWA, you don't have Palestinian education. You don't have education and you don't have food because uh, the UNRWA also is responsible for some food distribution. So it, just to push this a little further, Jamal, what, what Kushner and what Greenblatt and, you know, through the whispering into Trump's ears, what happened is that they put the, the grand peace plan on the table for Abu Mazen and the Palestinians. The Palestinians said, no, we're not going to give up the right of return. We're not going to live in Bantustans. We're not going to live as third-class citizens. They rejected the Kushner plan, and as a punishment for dignity and self-determination and a rejection of this, this wretched Kushner plan, they got punished, innocent, Palestinian refugees and NGOs and, you know, UNRWA schools, clinics, you know, because they also run the medical clinics for refugee uh, for refugees in Palestine. They got uh, slammed by this incredible amount of money, which will decimate this, you know, decimate it. And just to add insult to injury, Jamal, mm -hmm. the Trump administration is going to give Israel 38 billion more dollars. Well, there is more, actually. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about in the addition the, to their in three addition, billion. In addition, and we'll to talk about billion. this now components of the so-called deal of the century. Yes, is uh, are, uh, it's uh, unfolding in front of our own eyes. Uh, just but going back to UNRWA again, the United Nations General Assembly. This is resolution one nine four. One nine four. That's which right. created UNRWA resolving, and I, I need to read this, that the Palestinian refugees wishing to return to their homes and live at peace with their neighbors should be permitted to do so at the earliest practical date, and that compensation should be paid for the property for those choosing not to return and for loss or damage to property, which under principles of international law or equity should be made good by the governments or authorities responsible. Seven years later, we have UNRWA because this resolution was not honored by Israel and, uh, and was not implemented right. by the international community and by the General Assembly and, and by basically the United States because it, it keeps veto vetoing any kind of resolution which would force Israel right. to accept Resolution 194. Right. And that's exactly right, Jamal. So we've, we've gone from 800,000 refugees, which were created in 1948, with an additional 600,000 or 300,000 in 1967. The number of registered Palestinian refugees now, Jamal, I think is about, as you said, five and a half million right now. So it's ballooned. And these refugees are all over 
the the Arab world. They're in Lebanon. They're in Jordan. Obviously, they were in Syria till they got kicked out again. Mm-hmm. They're in Palestine. They're in Gaza. They're in the West Bank. I mean, this this is out of control. And to live off of the crumbs that they get from UNRWA, to have that money taken away is like a death sentence. You're absolutely right. So, so here this is, is the Kushner grand plan. This so is no, no, this is this is only a small part of it. So we go back to the Kushner, and we'll put slash. Trump, Trump. Trump deal of the century. Plan number one, tighten the noose around the Palestinian Authority through funding and, and, uh, and cut, the, cut foreign aid to Mahmoud Abbas and company so they can succumb and kneel and accept all the dictates of well, Donald to accept, Trump. To accept being oppressed, yes. Right, so this is number one, and it started with cutting the funding of direct U.S. aid, right. the 210 million, and now the UNRWA, because who's gonna be responsible? We've heard, like, I think Britain is giving five million or seven million pounds, which is nothing. That's it's, it's nothing. It's a drop in the, bu- in the bucket, but unless others in the international uh, uh, community step in. Then the next step, Jess, is w- this is what has been floating around it's it's an old new repackaged idea by the Trump administration of of uh, creating a confederation right with Jordan so this is the new idea so like oh the great deal the deal of the century what do you know about the confederation this is not something new it's not new but here is the trick the trick doesn't the trick or the caveat the Trump administration does not talk about a, 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 an independent, contiguous Palestinian state. No. They're bypassing that part, and they're going into confederation. Even Jordan, King Abdullah was like going, hey, keep me out of it. I don't want to be responsible for the basically the destruction of Palestine and, and, and the, you know, the burying of the whole Palestinian case. Because to create a confederation, what do you need? You need a state, a free state. You don't go into a confederation when Absolutely. you don't have a declaration of a, of a state. Because they've had these discussions about having a confederation. Once you establish an independent Palestinian state, there were different, different formulas for this one a confederation between the Palestine and Jordan, and there was even talks about the confederation between Palestine, Israel, and Jordan. Right. Which means three sovereign states. Right. Donald Trump wants to bypass the sovereignty part. That's right. And he wants to put, basically, he wants to make Jordan responsible for administering the Palestinian territory. He took out from the table, he's taking out from the table the refugees, so refugees, so he's killing the whole right of return issue. He is taking out, he took out from the table also the issue of Jerusalem, so right. that's out of there. And by the way, they don't talk about Gaza because he has a different plan. Oh, it's a separate deal. A separate Gaza. deal with right. establishing a, a harbor uh, in Cyprus for Gaza, some sort of a confederation with Egypt. So you have another, you know, so well, isn't another it part, entity it's, in it's Gaza. Pa- it's part of the conquer and divide. But ultimately, this peace, so-called peace plan, Jamal, and the confederation is part of the old Zionist kind of uh, fantasy and dream that somehow Palestinians don't exist and just in Gaza just make them Egyptian citizens and in the West Bank just make them Jordanian citizens and the ones in historic Palestine, well, they have they have is so-called Israeli half Israeli citizenship, and then we have no problem in Palestine anymore. That's a that's an old Zionist. It is dream that is resurrecting itself. Because it is of the, because the whole idea, the whole concept of having Palestinians or the recognition of Palestinians as human beings, as uh, people who are entitled to their own state delegitimizes the existence of Israel. This is how Zionists think. So they are willing, for example, to bring, you know, uh, immigrants from Russia, immigrants from Africa, from Ethiopia. they just got rid of them. uh, Whatever, (laughs) what I'm just saying, and make them part of the state. And that's why now 
a lot of Palestinians, if you if uh, like me, who was there, which something that wasn't uh, much debated, but now it's a reality. Most people tell, uh, most people are saying that. Listen, it's no longer about having our own state. It's no longer about getting uh, this little morsel of land because, by the way, the uh, the uh, the so-called Palestinian state, if it exists, not going to be. According to the borders of 1967, no, not it's even It's not close. that 22% of land. It's no. not it, it, now. If you if you take away Area C, which Israel controls, Area C, it's less than seven percent. Palestinians will control seven percent. So, so they're saying it's no longer about having an independent state. It's about human rights, equal rights. That's so interesting, Jamal. Because so, so in a way, Mr. Trump and Netanyahu and Kushner, and Greenblatt, and company, all of these people, they are reinforcing the idea of the one-state solution. Absolutely. And, and this is the reality on the ground. Well, and it is the reality on the ground. Well, I'm, I'm, that's so interesting to hear you say that, Jamal, because to remind our listeners, you and I were one of the first people 15 years ago, maybe even more, to come out in support of the one-state you know, the one state concept saying one person, one vote, one state for all of historic Palestine. And I just want to remind you how we were vilified, how we were criticized, how we were, you know, viciously attacked for this concept. We were called all sorts of names. Yet the Israelis have, as usual, overplayed their hand again. And as a result, their worst nightmare is going to be realized, which is ultimately where all of this is headed, Jamal, is a truly one state, one democracy, one person, one vote. Well, ultimately, ultimately. But, but the one state issue does exist now, it, except it is an apartheid it's state. It's an apartheid state. This exactly. is the reality on the ground. Exactly. I mean, you have to be... I shouldn't even say that. You have to be blind because this is not. this is not meant to be disrespectful to someone who is blind because the actually the blind can see if you have a blind person they can hear they can sense apartheid as you are walking well, they can in the streets it. of Jerusalem right. as you're walking anywhere and what and and seeing people around you and of course if you if you try to travel there and we know about the apartheid wall and the realities and the new uh, racist laws that Israel is passing on on a weekly basis and, and right. the different modifications of bills that are now lining up in the Israeli Knesset to kind of restrict anyone who is not Jewish in that state to be a second, third, fourth class citizen. citizen. Well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And I think this is an important point for our listeners because you're you're absolutely right. The one state's solution does exist now. It's a racist apartheid solution, but where we're eventually headed, and it's good that Palestinians and hopefully the rest of the international community will get on board with this, because where we're headed is a democratic, one person, one vote uh, uh, system where everybody has equal rights. I mean, this is everyone's aspiration who is sane, but... To summarize, just let's summarize again. There's two words. Donald Trump's and Kushner's deal of the century has fallen apart again. Is basically <laughs> to suffocate Palestinians, to, to starve them economically. And to force them into submission. Force, force them into submission. Uh, create a confederation with Jordan, bypassing independent uh, statehood, basically. Well, bypassing the King of Jordan, too. and and separate <laughs> Gaza from the the rest of Palestine, and create a whole different entity there with uh, co the cooperation of uh, the Egyptian regime. And this is this is the deal. This is the yeah, deal of the century. This, this is the deal. And, it's not going to happen. And and basically canceling the right of return for all Palestinians. And this is evident by his first attack on UNRWA. Right. And basically saying he's, you know, he's sitting in the White House telling uh, five and a half to six million 
refugees and their children and grandchildren. Hey, by the way, you're no longer a refugee. But we're going to ignore the one uh, the resolution 194, which specifically says that you need to return to your homes. But now you don't return to your homes, and you're no longer a refugee. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO. San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We're live streaming now on Facebook Live. You can watch and listen to us on at Jamal Dejani 2 on Facebook Live. You, you, you can listen to us live via streaming at kpoo.com. Or if you're in the Bay here, you can tune in at 89.5 FM. So, Jamal, the, the, the Kushner Peace Plan is just a, a repackaging of colonial ideology, colonial notions of one people controlling, oppressing, and occupying another people with a modern twist, if, if you can call it that. That attempt to colonize a people has never worked. It won't work in the case of Palestine. They're being called out. But my question to you is, well, where, where's the rest of the world on this, that to see this starvation to death of Palestinians in Gaza and West Bank and of the refugees all over the world right now, five and a half million, where, where, where is the rest of the world not calling this out right now? Because we're really talking about, this is beyond a humanitarian crisis right now. In Gaza, children are living on less than a dollar a day, by and large. In, you know, in the refugee camps that you just saw on your trip to Palestine and the West Bank are being decimated. You know, they can barely open the schools, the UNRWA schools, let alone the clinics there now. So where, where is the rest of the world on this? Well, uh, very few stepped in uh, to kind of replace some of that uh, loss of uh, What I'm really saying is where are the, Gulf, where are the Gulf countries? <laughs> where, where are they? Or they're in where, Yemen. Or where have they been? They're, well, busy, they're, 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 they're busy, busy bombing, bombing Yemen, Yemen yeah. and the rest of the Arab world is divided and busy on the issue. You know, we talked earlier about the issue of Syria and all this conspiracy, and then now we find find out, you know, oh, lucky us that Israel is arming 12 different so-called Syrian rebel groups. That's where the rest of the world. But, you no, know— but I just want to say something quick. There, There is a little bit of a silver lining, in a sense, because what this has done is strengthen the BDS movement. And there have been a number of BDS successes, whether it's Lana Del Rey— and artists and people all over the world who are boycotting, divesting, and sanctioning the government of Israel for these oppressive, apartheid, racist policies. So it is kind of like a tale of two cities right now. On the one hand, the Trump uh, Kushner Greenback plan is to squeeze and starve to death Palestinians and Palestinian refugees. Yet on the other hand, the BDS movement is in fact getting stronger. Uh, every day. Every day you have something new. Every day you have a new, uh, you, you, you know, you've mentioned these artists, the most recent of uh, which uh, just is uh, the U.S. indie pop band uh, is the latest to withdraw from Israel's Meteor Festival. Right. Uh, in uh, in response uh, to a call for to boycott, uh, you know, you know, from from the BDS movement. So uh, so every single day, you know, for example, uh, you have uh, a new protest. That's right. And 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 it looks like this big and festival that Israel was putting together, this big international festival, the the Meteor uh, Festival. I think they've lost about six different groups. That's right. To date. That's right. And uh, and it looks like it might collapse. Well, uh, we're on the verge. We if if it doesn't collapse this year, Jamal, it will collapse next year. So sooner or later, the the that that racist apartheid structure that Israel is is built on is going to fall. And right now, it's this this it's a race between the starvation literally starvation of Palestinians and refugees, you know, uh, especially those Palestinians who live in Gaza, West Bank, uh, starving them to death versus the race 
towards justice, which is also happening at a very rapid rate. So these two things are happening in parallel right now, Jamal, and um, we're living in these really kind of crazed times where the only world leader that supports Israel right now is in fact Donald Trump. So if people want to understand, if you've ever been confused about racist apartheid policies that Israel has had, you just need to look at one thing, Jamal. Donald Trump supports Israel. So that that's all you need to really know because look at who else Donald Trump supports. I mean, and, and neo-Nazis, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, <laughs> people who believe in the Confederacy, people who believe in, you know, the, the great, the great, you know, past of the United States when we, we lived as an open slave state. Now we're just a, you know, quieter sl- slave state now, but that we're talking about an individual who has consistently supported despots, rulers, strongmen and uh, people who do not believe in the rule of law. So I guess it's no surprise that Israel's biggest supporter is Donald Trump. That's all you really need to know to understand on which side of justice you want to be on the question of Palestine. Uh, you're absolutely right, Jess, but going back to the uh, BDS, yeah. uh, BDS uh, is, is panicking Israel. They should. It's, yeah, they uh, should. It's, it's the action of BDS is... Uh, causing a lot of panic. A lot of anxiety. And anxiety. Yes, yes. And also, Israel has been pouring a lot of money to combat it, of course, supported by Sheldon Adelson and Haim Saban and, and others who, yeah. who have been funding uh, different groups. But, uh, you know, talking about the latest of which, when we talked about this festival, the American Rock uh, Group of Montreal and by the way, the name uh, is not, uh, it's not uh, Montreal in Quebec. It comes from, uh, um, you know, it's from Athens, Georgia. That's, right. This is where the band is from. So this group, the American rock group of Montreal, has become the latest uh, musicians to pull out of Israel's Meteor Festival in Israel, accusing, and they, they didn't just like say, uh, you know, we're going to leave. Uh, or, uh, or say, They basically said, they put, a, put out a statement that they're not playing there because, because Israel is an apartheid state. Wow. And so, so they, they, they did not beat around the bush. You know, they're, they're different in their statement uh, that came from Lana Del Rey, for example, which wanted to be diplomatic about why right, right. she wasn't going to perform there. These guys, they said, you know, and, and, and their statement, and, 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 and I'll paraphrase and read some of it uh, to our audience here, after exhausting all of the different possible ways of justifying playing an Israeli party festival while the political and military leaders of the country continue their murderous and brutal policies against the Palestinian people, we came to the realization that there is no actual appropriate move other than to cancel the show. Wow. Off Montreal wrote on its Facebook page late Tuesday. So it was a big, huge slap in the face. They're my new favorite band now. And I'm adding, <laughs> now it's not the time. This is, I'm adding, they put a very powerful statement. Now it is not the time of escapism and celebration. Now is the time for activism and protests against Israeli apartheid. Let me repeat that. Wow. Israeli apartheid. Israeli occupation of the West Bank and the human rights atrocities being carried out every day in Gaza by Israeli forces. This is what the band, you know, put on their Facebook page. This is the statement that was distributed to the media. So it was a big slap in the face for the organizers of the festival. It's a big message because, you know, the the supporters of Israel, uh, you know, other organizations here who try to defame artists, as you know, uh, led by the, uh, the founders, Watch. the founders of Campus Watch right, and, and right. company, and so forth, they went after uh, 
Pink Floyd, Roger, Roger Waters, yeah. Waters, and they try to isolate him like he's an anomaly, and you know he's a cook, and he is a has been, and of course he has been steadfast, <laughs> uh, you know, from day one, and unequivocal about his support of the Palestinian cause, and saying the truth about Israel, and 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 some other artists joining, but now this movement is growing. Yeah. It is Absolutely. growing. So more and more artists are coming, it's, which is very hopeful in, in a way, because this is what happened, you know, uh, in apartheid South Africa, to, to apartheid South Africa. So when you have more bands, more artists, people who have There's a, critical a name mass, yeah. and fame. Yeah. And I tell you, because I read the Israeli press every day. They're freaking out. They are freaking out. And don't read, you know, most, most Americans here, they read Haaretz, which are understandable, it's in English, or White Net News, which is Yedi'od Ahronot. Read the conservative one, Arutz Shiva, for example, in Hebrew. See what they're writing. They're freaking out, man. They are freaking out. And they are putting a lot of resources and a lot of money. Because at the end of the day, those defenders of apartheid, they'll have to to, to face the entire world and say, well, every single artist is, and they're going to label them like what they try to do with uh, Roger Waters. Oh, he's an anti-Semite, or he's a, or if he happens to be Jewish, you know, he's a self-hating Jew, or he, he hates Israel, whatever. You cannot label hundreds of them. You cannot label all these artists from the United States to Britain to France, etc. And this movement is growing. This is the most effective thing that has been done recently. It's more effective than anything else. No, I think that's exactly right, Jamal. What's interesting, though, is that the old Israeli Zionist playbook of calling everybody an anti-Semite is not working. It, it, that, that's the playbook, right? That's what they did to Roger Waters. They're trying to do it to Jeremy Corbyn, you know, one of the uh, leaders in uh, in the UK right now. Same thing because of his support of Palestinian self-determination and uh, indivisible rights. So this playbook uh, that the Israelis have used for decades is not working anymore. And I do think there is a critical mass. I mean, if, if a group like Montreal and Lana Del Rey and, you know, the hundreds of other people who have engaged in the, in the BDS movement, there will be a critical mass where people will feel, okay, if, if they can do it, I can do it. And then there'll be a domino effect. And that's the whole point of the BDS movement. Um, I'm a little disappointed, you know, in what Lana Del Rey and some of the others have said. It's great that they're not going, but their statements say something like, and I'm paraphrasing, well, we're not going to go and do this concert in, in, you know, with the Israelis because unless we can give a concert to the Palestinians and the Israelis, I'm not going to do it. I that, tell you, this is actually a great possibility, and you know how it will happen, Jess? <laughs> if this is when the Palestinians get helicopters <laughs> to fly them over the apartheid the wall, wall and, and go to the concert. Or they grow wings. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, people think we have flying carpets. Flying carpets. Are, and they can fly. Exactly. So, so when they make statements like this, when the average person cannot travel from Ramallah into Jerusalem, when people do even in Christmas time, Christians, Palestinian Christians cannot go from Bethlehem into, into Jerusalem. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. It tells me, and that's why it's really important sometimes, and that's why you see when people travel there, even though Israel, and we talked about this, has been deporting and preventing many right. uh, you know, artists and even American uh, Jews who belong to the Jewish Voice for Peace or even journalists from entering, right. when they see the facts on the ground with it's, their own eyes. It changes. As we say, if it walks like a duck, it is a duck, and and then see apartheid, you cannot avoid it. Just I was walking just a week ago, oh, yeah, yeah, right in the old city with a dear friend of mine, and hopefully he's listening. And I was walking in the old city, and we were trying to cross from the Moroccan quarter into the Armenian area. So there was a checkpoint, and an Israeli and, checkpoint. And, and they were allowing tourists to pass but they weren't allowing indigenous Palestinian Jerusalemites to go through. I mean, imagine you were born in the city, you grew up in the city, in the old city, 
they don't allow you to go through. Well, I think you should tell a little bit more detail. I mean, I know the person that you're speaking about. Not only is he an indigenous Palestinian who has lived, was born, and li has lived in Jerusalem his whole life. Um, but he happens to be brown, by he, the way. He's, he's, he's brown, browner than me. He's browner than I mean, you. We, and, and let's, so I went through. And you got through and he I didn't. I got through. He didn't. He didn't. It's based crazy. on Based on profiling him and looking. And then they asked him, where are you from? He said, I'm from Jerusalem. He said, no, you cannot pass. Tourists were passing. Israelis were passing. Everyone, uh, you know, was going through except for Palestinians. I mean, this is in their own town, so, in the old city. Imagine. So, so there isn't a better definition of apartheid, racist apartheid, Jamal, than what you just gave. And we want to encourage our listeners. I mean, you know, you can listen to Arab talk all you want, but, you know, you should go and visit Palestine yourself. See it for yourself. See the apartheid wall. See how Palestinians are treated. See how the racist colonial project is is kind of being realized right now in historic Palestine. Two colors of license plates, two kinds of communities, two kinds of uh, two different kinds of roads. I mean, where else in the world, Jamal, does this kind of racist structure? Uh, get support of, and we haven't even gotten to this yet, that we as a country here in the United States are not only recognizing this racist apartheid structure, but financially supporting it more than any other country in the world. So we have a few minutes left. Uh, uh, I want to also bring in another uh, subject, another, another story again. I want to remind our listeners the big story that we have been talking about earlier, which is Israel now, admittedly, well, not admittedly, but confirmed reports are coming from Israel itself and in the Israeli media that Israel has been funding and arming 12 different Syrian rebel groups, Jess. Including ISIS. Several of them include ISIS members. They've been providing them with weapons, with machine guns, with mortars, with the logistical support, satellite photo images, and so forth, plus provide, you know, bringing them into through the Golan Heights transport vehicles. You know, and now it's all over. We've been talking about this for at least two, three years. Yeah, at least. And and now it's a, it's a big story. The other little story, since we have a few minutes left, uh, is, uh, oh, uh, you know, uh, Paraguay <laughs> <laughs> has decided to move its Jerusalem embassy back to Tel Aviv. So there was a big party when actually when I was there and big celebration and big euphoria in the Israeli media. Aside from the United States, you know, the few and aside from... I think it was Paraguay and then Uruguay, right? Whatever. I, I can't remember. There were three but, countries, but the United States and two, countries that two from Central receive America. receive major financial aid from the United States and some from Israel. So Paraguay decided, so there is a major disappointment. Paraguay decided to move its embassy back to and I know, Tel Aviv. I'll t and I'll t I know why. And, and so, so Israel recalled its ambassador from Paraguay. So, so this is another big slap in the face. So uh, let's tell our listeners why that happened. Well, I have my own guess. I have my guess, which is they were paying off any country who was willing to come and move their embassy from <laughs> Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. They didn't receive enough money. They didn't. I mean, the Paraguayans probably said, okay, we need the money. We'll kind of go with your little plan and move from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. They moved, and then they said, okay, where's the money? Where is the beef? <laughs> the no, no beef in that. And then the Israelis said, you know, basically they did their typical what money. And you know how the people of Paraguay and the government of Paraguay said later, we're going to go back to Tel Aviv. Of course, that's what happened. I mean, that's what this diplomatic row is about, probably, right? Jamal, I mean, isn't that your speculation? Well, it's, I mean, what if, else you, could it be? if you talk about all the countries who, that voted in the United Nations when the vote came through. Uh, Paraguay. Was one Micronesia, exactly Marshall Islands, exactly. And, I mean and the United States. Yeah. I mean, in 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 a way, uh, it's follow the money, I guess. Yeah, vote. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm sure it's all of the money, and uh, well, you know, this uh, charade, and I've said this about 
the Israeli project, this charade of a democratic state. It's a charade that Israel tries to refer to itself as a democratic state. It's not democratic, number one, full stop. And to call it a state really begs the question because they've never declared their borders. And, you know, they have this fluid notion of, of you know, what their borders are. Doesn't sound like a state to me. This charade, too, will come to an end sometime because this will collapse on itself. And because of everything we've said around the BDS movement, it sounds like the momentum, Jamal, is really picking up now. I mean, there really is a momentum. And uh, this is going to sound weird, so please bear with me. I want to personally thank Donald Trump for his support of the racist apartheid state of Israel because it's bringing more light to the problem, the issue, the apartheid nature of this. Of, because people are going to say, if Donald Trump is supporting them, something must be wrong here right? He supports Kim Jong-un. He supports Duterte of the Philippines. Like something's, you know, something's wrong here that, you know, he supports Putin, you know. So, you know, it's, you know, people are saying, okay, well, maybe there's something we really need to see here. So thank you, Donald Trump. Well, I don't want to <laughs> say thank you, Donald Trump, but, uh, you might be right uh, there, Jess, uh, and we talked earlier, uh, all the indications now, people are not talking about uh, having a two-state solution. I mean, the whole concept, you know, the whole discussion now, it's really about the one state, the one state Which and, we'll and, and, and civil rights. And maybe between Donald Trump and the deal of the century and Netanyahu, new uh, racist and apartheid laws, uh, this is driving people to start thinking about the one state and, and, uh, and, our, and our th just like what happened in South Africa and, and, and hopefully this is the direction because the conditions on the ground now, there right. is a one state, whether you like it or not. Yeah. The land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea is controlled by Israel, by by land, by air, by sea. And it's majority Palestinian now. And you have conditions of apartheid. So on that note, we want to thank everybody for listening to us. Our favorite band now is Montreal. Check them out. But this is Arab Talk. Check us out on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2. You can hear our podcast at SoundCloud. Send us your emails to ArabTalk at KPOO.com, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.